0: I did everything I could to try and get you all to 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 respond and give us some some feedback, and we got three people who uh, who who did uh, put something up on Facebook, and they didn't. Uh, and my my, da- yes, right, my daughter, she she emailed me. She had a good one too, but it wasn't the one I was talking about. But I told you there is one of my favorite lines in this passage of scripture. I quote it often whenever someone trash talks me. And uh, uh, Lamar's not here today. But if he was here, he would probably know because he heard this all over and over again because they would never let us play on the same hockey team. <laughs> they always made sure we were on different sides. And um, so he would, and we were always, we were both centers. No one else really liked to face off a whole lot. We both didn't mind it. And so we were always at the center facing off right with each other. And as, as we're getting ready to face off, he starts trash talking me. <laughs> and so I would use this every time that he would do that. Now, you got to understand, when Lamar trash-talks you, it's not like the world. <laughs> you don't feel down. You don't feel put down. I mean, we had fun. It was, it was all good stuff. And, but we're going to take a look at that. In this particular passage today, we are going to see probably three different prophets give over five different words, and we're going to see three different kinds of responses, all in one passage of Scripture. You, if you're going to study prophecy, what a phenomenal one to take a look at. Because here we're going to see that they obeyed. We're going to see that they completely disobeyed. And we're going to see that they partially obeyed. And we get to see what kind of response we have from that. Because what we're looking at here, we've looked at the the office of the prophet. We looked at how important that was. We're looking at how how am I supposed to respond to a prophet? When that message comes in, how am I supposed to respond to it? And I'm going to ask this question again. How many people are going up on YouTube or other places and specifically look for prophetic messages? Now you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to, unless you're bold. But you don't have to. You can nod your head, or you know, um, just tell, God tell them <laughs> whatever you want to do this. But how many have a, a a prophet just doesn't quite sit with you as well as a teacher, or an evangelist, or a pastor? <laughs> they just kind of just get you a little bit of. And yeah, I was listening to one, I think, one I told you about, man, he just, he, he just, my wife was saying, he, he really gets into the hard rock stuff. <laughs> he just like music along with it. He said, yeah, all right, you got to try and extract the, the message from it, I guess. But um, that's what we're, we're here to do. We have to make sure we get our flesh out of the way. But I told you, prophets are a different bunch. Now, one of the things that Brother Hagin would, t- would share with us, and he sat in the, the office of a prophet and knew some things about it, he says, no one who knows what the prophet's office is ever desires it. The fact that anybody's out there saying I want to be a prophet means they have no idea what it is, <laughs> because more so than any other of the fivefold ministry, this one completely takes over your life. Yeah. He would tell us about times when he he said you can't even go out and have have uh, just go over and socialize, have dinner. He said I was over at a friend's house, and we're having dinner. All of a sudden, that uh, that burden from the, the prophet's office comes on him to pray. And so he said, guys, I got to pray. Fortunately, it was a Family that he could do this with, I've got to pray. You can pray with me I, or not. I don't know, but I've got to pray. And so he got down, and he started praying. And he said that was one of the times he was just taken up into heaven and, and uh, told some things, just gone. And that's um, it's a very consuming role. If you, not, I'm not talking about one who prophesies. We're talking about one who sits in the office of a prophet and speaks the words of God. But we're going to take a look at this this particular passage here today. And if you have your outline, you will see that we are over in 1 Kings chapter 20. The king in question is an ungodly king. And the only reason we know a whole lot about him is because of the people that were around him. But as the last time we were looking at how a, a word was delivered. It was a true prophetic word. In what God does when he delivers a prophetic word, he will tell you of things to come. He will not tell you what you need to do. And we saw that uh, wonderful scripture, Second Chronicles 20. Everybody loves when the praisers go out before the battle. The battle is not your own. Oh, that's sort of, I'm going to fight for you. Everybody loves all those verses of scripture, but it is based on a word that was given to them for their situation. That word does not work for every situation. It works for the ones that God spoke it to, which was that one. There may be some other times that he said, you don't need to fight, but a lot of times they needed to fight. In fact, most times they needed to fight. But this is one time you don't need to fight. And so we saw that when they put the praisers in front, they did not do it because God said to. We saw that Josiah consulted with the people and they came up with a strategy of putting the praisers in the front. God had nothing to do with it. But we saw in the word that when the praisers in the front began to sing in praise. That's when God set the ambushments against them. That's when the deliverance happened. So it seemed that before, even though the deliverance was prophesied, was spoken about that it was coming, it seems that God was waiting for them to do something before it went into being. So even though the prophetic word came, even though the prophetic word said this is what's going to happen, It didn't start until the people did something. And so we looked at what they did. And what they did was they had they had actions in line with what the prophet said. So their actions were basically faith in what was said. Just like the woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus, made a faith statement about that. I know if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Even though she had faith, even though she was proclaiming these things, she was not healed until she put that faith into action and touched the hem of his garment. To which Jesus turned around and said, your faith has made you whole. Her action of faith was touching the hem of his garment. If the faith she had before she did that would have healed her, she would have been healed before she got to Jesus. When they put into plan what they had discussed as being in obedience, as being in faith for what God had said, That's when the ambushments came. So what we have to do is take and have faith in what God says through his prophets. First off, know who his prophets are. Have faith in what they say. Most times it will take you by surprise. Remember, we looked back a few weeks ago and we saw that even though Paul and all his company, he had some great ministers in there, some ones who shook the world. But when that prophet came up and said, these are the things that are going to happen This is what's going to happen to Paul. They were all taken by surprise. They had teachers. They had apostles. They had even other prophets that were there. They had evangelists in that group. But until that one prophet got the word from God and came and spoke it, it seemed like it took everybody there by surprise. A prophet will speak things that even mature Christians do not know about what is coming. It will take you by surprise. Very often, you may not like it. But you've got to determine, is this from God? Because if it is, there's an action thats that I'm supposed to do. Just because a prophet gets up and speaks things, doesn't mean it's just going to happen. Elijah got up and spoke the word of God. That word was, it will not rain until I say so. And the word of God tells us in the New Testament. And he prayed, and it did not rain. So even though he spoke the word, he still had to pray. And then God said, it's going to rain. And so he prophesied, it's going to rain. And then he prayed... Until it rained. There was an action that was required from him. There is an action that is required from us to the prophetic ministry. That if we don't do it, it curtails what it is that's happening. So with all that introduction, let's get in here and begin to read First Kings chapter 20. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria, and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messenger came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. And I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time. And they shall search your house and the houses of your servant. It shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So whatever it is that you like, they don't even have to like it themselves. I'm going to send my servants to them. If they like it, they're, if they see that you like it, they're taking it. And so this is what had uh, had come out. Now, if you remember, when Elijah was called up into the mountain, He was given an assignment to to anoint certain people. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Elisha was one of them. Jehu was another. And do you remember who the third one was? Not as common, is it? There was a king of Syria that they were supposed to anoint. You shall anoint... His name just went right out of my head we reading it all all morning yesterday. And now it went right out of head. I, it'll pop back in my head here in a little bit unless somebody comes up with it. But these three people were going to be anointed. Now the end of the word that came to Elijah was this: He who escapes the king, or he was, yeah the king of of Syria, Jehu will kill. He who escapes the, the hand of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And it went right all down. So the three of these were to come against the house of Ahab and to wipe them out. Except that Ben Hadad is not the king. What is it? Hazael. yep. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was an H and I, I couldn't I just couldn't put the rest of it together Thank you for that. So as uh, as as they were here, is supposed to come. He's supposed he is the one who's supposed to be anointed to do this. Now Elisha eventually goes over and anoints him to do this, but apparently he's not king yet, is he? Now, because of some of the ways that these are lined up here in Scripture, it often looks like we have Elijah's ministry. Elijah is caught up in heaven and then Elisha's ministry begins. How many have thought that about the word? You see that Elijah's ministry, after he gets caught up, Elisha stops following him and then he takes over, which is wrong. If you go back and you look at the timeline for Elisha's ministries, and have you ever heard people say this? Elisha had this many miracles and Elisha had twice as many. And so that's why he had a double portion. That is so false. Because most of Elisha's miracles occurred while Elijah was still on the earth. So that's not what he was going after there. Elisha does anoint Hazael, king of Syria. He does do that. But apparently not yet. From the time that Elijah was called up into the mountain. Until the time of this chapter. It is about seven years. About seven years passed in time. From the time that Elijah had that call. To anoint these different ones. He's had seven years. To anoint Hazael. Now. Now. If they had anointed him sometime before, he still was not made king yet. So here's what you got. And you already know God's going to bring about a victory for these people. Why would God bring about a victory for an awful king like Ahab? How many know Ahab is an awful king? Here's one of the reasons. One of. Ben-Hadad is not anointed to take out the house of Ahab. Hazael is. And Jehu is. And you know Jehu. He was zealous. (laughs) He went out there. He, If you were of the house of Ahab, man, you are... He's gonna take you out. He really did a good job. I don't know if there's anybody left over for Elisha. After all that was done. He just, he really went after them all. But here we have Ben-Hadad basically talking trash. To the king of Ahab. To the king Ahab. King of Israel. And he's messing with them. He says, I'm gonna go in there and I want all your wives. Now to a king that's pretty much taking his throne. That's what that really means to them. I want your kids. I want your gold. When all your stuff. And he comes back and he says, Okay. We'll do that. And then he says, Well, okay, if you're gonna do that, that's uh that's up the end a little bit more. <laughs> and we're just gonna walk through the house and whatever we see, we're gonna take. And that seemed to be pushing Ahab just a little bit too far, or maybe it wasn't. We're not sure. But let's go on and read this. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, my gold, and I did not deny him. Look how unselfish I was. This is Ahab. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me and more also if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful of each of the people who follow me. Now that's trash talk, isn't it? The gods do so more to me. That's the gods he serves. And more also if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. Now here is my line. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like one who takes it off. (laughs) How many remember that now? Yeah, I love that phrase. I have used that over and over again. (laughs) Because what he's basically saying is, when you're going into battle, don't talk like someone who already came out. You haven't come out of this battle yet. Now the host that is against Ahab is huge. It is a very large host. And he does not have anything near what is coming against him. He is is a fairly powerful king. Of the kings of Israel, Ahab is one of the more powerful ones that uh, came to the kings of the the north. But he's not as powerful as the forces that are coming against him. Huge forces coming against him. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard the message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, Get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. (laughs) It got him mad. (laughs) Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord. Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab. What suddenly caused this prophet to approach Ahab? I think some kind of faith rose up inside of Ahab and he said, I don't care, I'm going up against this massive audience, or this massive uh, army over here. We're not backing down. We're not going to be defeated. And it just rose up on the inside of him, and he spoke out these words. These are phenomenal words. These are refrigerator-worthy words. And after he gets through and does this, and he's basically declared war, suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord... Now, this is how a prophet should be. Just get up there and say what God said. This is what he does. Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Now, if you're wondering how great is the multitude, God is calling it great. How great is it? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord. By the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, Who will set the battle in order? And he answered, You. Now, he asked questions about this. He gave him the word, but he asked questions about it. And the first time he comes back, and says, Thus says the Lord. By the young leaders of the provinces, this is the ones who he's going to deliver through. Now, we never see Ahab seek after God. You'll never find that. But this prophet approached approached him. And this word was for a word of deliverance and instruction. Somewhat instruction. And you're going to see a a little bit of instruction here. But still not told everything what to do. That's the word. A lot of times God gives you the word. Now he expects you to have faith in that word and develop actions from it. According to Jewish writers, this was Micaiah. The problem with that being Micaiah, and this is Jewish writers, they all write that, you know, historically, this is, they uh, have this down as Micaiah. It's not named here in the Word of God. And we have Micaiah who comes up later on, and you all know him, he he uh, he's the one that Ahab said, well, he never prophesies anything good about me. Well, this is a very good word. (laughs) So I would think that would disqualify that, but this is about three years before Micaiah will, uh, actually almost four years before Micaiah will be called on by Ahab. So it may be that over the course of those four years that he didn't have anything good to say about him and he had forgotten what he had said here. So I'm not telling you that the Jewish writers are wrong. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just telling you this is who they say it is, but apparently his name was left out even though later on he would be, he would be mentioned. Now if you're wondering why not send Elijah? I mean Elijah thinks he's on this, in this thing on his own. Why not send Elijah? When I give him the word for this thing? He's already got in a relationship with Ahab. It may be that it's just not in Elijah's um, jurisdiction or in his his uh, way of ministry. Because most of the time Elijah comes is for correction. And he comes in and he faces opposition and he smashes the opposition and he barks out the word of, creation, uh, of correction and then he goes on. That's kind of his uh, MO. That's kind of the way God uses him. And maybe this just wasn't something that fit in with Elijah's message. But we have another one who was who called upon. Either it is Micaiah or it is someone else. And then we have his response. Verse 15, uh, Ahab's response. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were two hundred and thirty-two. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, seven thousand. So he listened to the word that was spoken, and he got in obedience to it. If you are going to obey the part of the word that says the young the the young uh, princes, if you're going to obey that, do you not believe the word? Would you believe? Would you obey one of the few things it says to do, without belief in the word? So he's believing the word of the prophet. And he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. 7,000 does not sound like a huge force to me. How about you? So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. <laughs> now, 32 kings, these may just be people, princes, or someone who's over top of a, of a province, or, a, uh, I don't know that there were 32 nations that, uh, they would have had in submission to them, but anyway, that's how it, it called them here, 32 kings. But these were all people who had folks underneath them and they were all in on this battle. Ben-Hadad is is the overlord here, overking. And the young leaders of the provinces went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. So either way, he wants them alive. Now they're over here getting drunk. I don't think they feel too too uh, great about the forces coming against them if they're out there getting drunk and you're not making yourself ready. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them and Ben-Hadad the king of Syria escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. So many of the great multitude that was there were killed by this small army of Israel because God said he's going to bring about the del- deliverance. But he did not say you don't need to fight. He told them you do need to fight and these are the folks who are going to lead it and you're going to set it in order. Tell, speaking to Ahab. And so they followed that. They did what was, was said. Ahab and he heeded the instruction of the prophet. Now, verse 22 And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. So that same prophet, whoever it was, had the first word. After they came back from battle, he had a second word for them. Are there instructions in the second word? The instructions once again left out. I don't have anything specific to do. I'm told to do something. But I'm not told necessarily what's specific. He is told, here's the future part. Go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. Remember, the word of the prophet is for you to prosper. To know ahead of time what's going to happen. So he spoke to him and said, Now look, you defeated them. They're great slaughter, but they're coming back. They're going to come back in the spring of the year. You need to be ready. So take note. Look around. See what you need to do. So he had to go out from there and take a look. If they're coming back in the spring of the year, what kind of things should we do? Should we make some more chariots? Should we sharpen some more swords? Should we get some more spears? What is it that we need? And so they would make evaluation as to what they would need. They probably came on back and said, well, we could probably use so many more foot soldiers, so many more horses or... Or uh, chariots or whatever it might be. and They may come back with a list of things. Here's some stuff that we, we need to do. All right. well, that We have until the spring of the year. If they obey the word of the prophet. If they have faith in the word of the prophet. We have until the spring of the year. So let's go and get ready for the, for the spring of the year. Verse um, 23. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Is that correct? No. But see, heathen people come up with really stupid conclusions. I they, they mean, they're heathens. That's why if you listen to the heathen people on the news media, if you listen to the heathen people that are in political office, if you listen to them for wisdom, you're gonna get some stupid stuff. This, this is what, these are their political leaders. This is serious leaders as they're political leaders. They're military leaders. These are the leaders of the nation. They come to the king and they said, I know why we lost. Because their gods are gods of the hills. What do you think God's doing when he hears that? Gabriel, hey, did you hear what they just said? <laughs> they think we're gods of the hills. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Let's show them that we're not. Can you just see God doing that? Let's show them that we're not. But heathen people come up with very stupid things to do, like taking all the chairs out of the food court. I, I just I don't even know the sense of that. And you say, well, that's because they couldn't take the tables. That yes, they could. You could move, they even moved the tables around different ways. (laughs) You could have moved the tables out. It's just like you moved the chairs out if you just didn't want people to use the area. But they just didn't want people sitting. So the chairs that they couldn't, they actually roped off. Yeah, roped them off so you couldn't get in there. (laughs) People do some stupid things. Heathen people will, because they don't have faith in God's Word. You got heathen people doing all sorts of stuff to, to... hold off global warming. And they're spending all kinds of money and all kinds of time and it's not going to help out. We have people, supposedly smart people, that are making plans for us to be able to evacuate the earth and go to Mars and set up a colony. (laughs) Now think about this. These same people, these same smart people are concerned that our planet is changing by one or two degrees. So we're going to go to a planet that differs by hundreds of degrees. Does that even make any sense? Its atmosphere does not support people to breathe. So we're going to leave here because the degrees might change one or two degrees to go to a place where there are already hundreds of degrees different and we can't breathe the air. Well, there's a little bit of an atmosphere there. Not enough to sustain us. Not enough to grow things. What are you going to do for water? I mean, is that stupid? To me, that is just the most stupid, brainless thing you could ever come up with. And then there's people who buy into it. That's the kind of stupid that you see coming out of Syria. In the Bible. It is not new to this day and age. People have been stupid before. And they will continue to be stupid. If you get apart from God, you will do stupid things. Just know it. Get with God and stop doing stupid stuff. But anyway, let's go on with here. Where do we leave off at? 23? Therefore, They were stronger than we, but if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. Mm -hmm. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their place. So the king idea, that wasn't working. Let's put captains in their place instead. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. Not only are people stupid who counsel the king, but apparently it is also the king that is stupid because he bought into it. Yep, the things that people think are true are really pretty stupid sometimes. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Afak to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel mustered and given provisions and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. (laughs) Get the picture here. The children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. So this is probably similar to how it looked before. Two little groups of goats over here, massive numbers of people over here, and we're going to fight them. That takes some guts to go out there on that battlefield. Verse 28, Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude in your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, this seems to be a second prophet, because if it was the same one before, I think it would have been worded in such a way that the same prophet or the same one came on. But it's not. It says, Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said this. So the reason this deliverance is coming is not because of Ahab. It's not because of Israel. It's not how good they are. It's how bad the Syrians are. And even though God wants Ahab's house dead, he's not going to use this guy. He has not anointed for this purpose. And the Syrians have said, Well, he's not God of the hills. He's God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. And so God says, I'm going to show you I am God of the hills and I am God of the valleys. I am God under the valleys. I am God over the hills. It don't matter where you go, I'm God. He's going to show them this. Despite Ahab, he's going beyond this. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. Why? Now, if you're Israel, you're probably saying, well, until they come, we don't really want to take this small number and go against this great mass of people. We'll just kind of wait right here. And this, this uh, great mass of people, I don't know why they want to stay there. Maybe they're thinking, it didn't go so well for us last time. Let's just take our time. Make sure nobody's drunk. So it was on the seventh day that the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. 100,000 foot soldiers. They killed. Now if you have a small group of people going up against a large group of people, how many of you all know there's no room to be standing around doing nothing? If you are in a small group of people, you've got to find something to do probably two or three things. So, all of these people are engaged in the battle. I know there's not a 100,000 of the children of Israel because if you have a 100,000 soldiers, you would not describe them as two groups of small goats. Two small groups of goats. You wouldn't call them that. So, each one of these people in Israel is taking out several of the Syrians. Some probably more so than others. Some are just more, more uh, taken to, to battle than others. Some have more of that anointing. We saw that under David's uh, reign. But uh, it was on the seventh day that the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Afak into the city. There a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. So you get, you go out in the battle then you lose 100,000 and so you get into the city and it just happens that while you're in the city a wall falls on twenty seven thousand people. How big of a ball does it have to be to fall on twenty seven thousand people? Now if you go over to um uh if you go over to uh the uh, the, the, the stadium where the Eagles play. I forgot the name of that. Been out watching football for so long, I forgot the name of it. It's uh Lincoln Financial Field. It used to be the vet, I think, held between 50 and 60,000 people. They made Lincoln smaller. So what's, what's Lincoln? Around 40,000? 35 Something like that. So you take almost Lincoln Field, if you can think about it, if you've ever driven by it, think of that almost filled to capacity. right, we're getting, we're gonna get some information on how much it holds. But I should say two thirds full. Two thirds full of Lincoln Financial Field. 69,000 can fit in there. Alright, so you gotta take about half of Lincoln Financial Field. And a wall will fall on that many people. How big of a wall does it need to be? It's gotta be a pretty good sized wall, huh? Because now all 27,000 people are not just sitting here, well, I think that wall will fall any day now. They're not standing there waiting for the wall to fall. They are in the city. Doing things to protect themselves, get themselves ready, and the wall falls and finds twenty-seven thousand. Now, if you just bury in the city for there's supposed to be protection, and a wall falls and kills twenty-seven thousand, that means you are now exposed because that's a big section of the wall that's no longer there. How many of you are thinking? Well, it seems that he's the God of the hills, it seems he's the God of the valleys, and it seems he's also the God of the cities, (laughs) because he caused the wall to fall while we're in here. I think God is making his case and making his point. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. He's trying to get into the inside spot where the wall was not falling and, and trying to hide out. But this is another great victory, called for by the prophet. And they acted in obedience with the, with the things that the prophet said. And they went out there and they, and they did it. But Ben Hadad, he fled into the city. They haven't gotten him yet. Verse 31. Then his servants said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waist, ropes around our heads, and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So his servants, the stupid ones, the ones who think God's a God of the hills but not a God of the valleys. Not a God of the plains. They're the ones who are giving this advice. I don't know, but if if, if I'm the king and they just gave me that advice and we just had a huge loss again, I'm not listening to them anymore. But he does. He listened to them. So they wore sackcloth around their waist, put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The same guy who came in boastfully and said, I want your wives, your kids, your gold, your silver, and anything else in your, in your house that I like, I'm going to take it. Or anything that you like, I'm going to take it. Please let me live. And he said, is he still alive? He is my brother. I have no idea what he was talking about with this. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly gasped, grasped at his word and said, your brother ben Heda. See, people that are in the world, they'll do this sort of thing. They'll just say things. They don't mean it. They don't know there's any truth behind it. But, oh yeah, yeah, your brother. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. All right, because he said it was his brother. They didn't know anything about that, but they just just grabbed hold of it. Yep, 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 your brother. Uh Uh-huh. We don't need to understand that. We don't even know whether it's true or not. We're just going to agree with it. Because maybe it'll get us to where we want to be. Now, the men were watching closely to see whether there'd be any sign of mercy would come from him, and they quickly grasped this word. Your brother Ben-Hadad, so he said, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. And you will, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. So in other words, you can set up stores here, sell stuff, take take the money back on home. We're a, we're a wide open market for you. Just like we did it to you, you can do it to us. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. This sounded good. This small little army just made this big nation bow to them and gave them all kinds of, of uh, profit. 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me please. And the man refused to strike him. Now, this seems to be a third prophet who is used in this because, again, we're not referring that he was the first guy. We're not going back referring to this guy who just uh, got done before. This is another one that identifies him as one of the ones from the prophets. So a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor. So he has uh, prophets in his lineage and he came on up and he said to the neighbor. Look how he does this. He said to his neighbor, by... The word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. Now, think about this. How many of you can think of a neighbor that you are on good terms with? Only one of you. Dear Lord. (laughs) Two. We got two. (laughs) I hope you do better than that in your neighborhood. (laughs) You got some neighbors that you're on good terms with. Can you imagine going out to your neighbor? by And going out. The Lord, thus says the Lord, strike me. Now, how many of you would just haul off and hit him? Anybody here just would haul off and hit him? Maybe you're looking for that opportunity. Okay, we've got two people who said, Yeah, yeah, as the Lord told you, oh, I'm hitting you. <laughs> I'm going to do it. How many of us here would have a hard time if somebody came out, the neighbor came up to our house and said, Will you please strike me? How many of you have a hard time doing that? You see, you can understand this guy, who the prophet came out and said, Strike me. Strike me, even please. Strike me, please. He was even nice about it. (laughs) And the man refused to strike him. He said, No, I am not going to do that. Maybe he's looking at you are a prophet. You are the son of a prophet. I am not going to strike God's man. I'm not going to do it. But he said it by the word of the Lord. If you were that man... You've already many of you already said, I would have struggled to have done it. And it seems, it appears, that God expected him to listen. Then he said, the prophet said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. He didn't say my voice. He said, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. All right, now think about your neighbor again. You've gone out there, you've asked them to strike you. They said, no, I like you, I don't want to hit you. And so then you say, by the word of the Lord, fine. Because you wouldn't do it, a lion is going to kill you. You, you are a dead man, <laughs> because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Surely, as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. Man, now I don't know how many times he asked him to strike him. Did he ask him more than once? It only we only have it one time in here, and one time. One time, this neighbor, who probably was on good terms with the prophet, struggled with the idea of hitting him, even though the Lord spoke it through him. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet again. This is the second word of the word, word of the Lord. Because this word of the Lord did not come to the prophet before, it came to the prophet after The man refused to do with the first word. So then we have the second word. Second word is? Nothing he has to do. He says, as soon as you depart from me, this is what's gonna happen. How many of you are staying real close? (laughs) Well I'm not I'm just not leaving now. I'm staying right here. (laughs) Your kitchen is my kitchen. Your living room is my living room. (laughs) Where you go, I will go. (laughs) I think that's what you've been saying. So either he didn't believe it again and just, just left and walked off. from. I don't know what it, what it was, but as soon as he walks off, a lion finds him. This lion kind of walking around and looking for somebody. Oh, there he is. Pounces on him and, and kills him. This is not the only time God has used this type of, of stuff. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. He did not call him his neighbor. It just said he found another man. So maybe this person was of uh, lower stature. Maybe he didn't have as much morals as uh, as the... We're in the northern kingdom. These are idolaters or just completely against God. This is what you got for all these people that are around here. Most of these people don't respect God. Don't follow God. Don't worship God. He found somebody else. Strike me, please. So the man struck him. Inflicting a wound. I don't know if he struck him with a blade. I don't know if he just struck him with his fist. I don't know if he struck him with a club. But whatever it was, it inflicted a wound. So he said, strike me, and he did. This man obeyed God. He would seem to have less moral character than the first guy, but he obeyed. And so he gets to live. There's no second word that comes out for him. That was, that was it. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with bandages over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man, if by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be, you have decided it, you have decided it. Yourself have decided sorry. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. So, he obeyed, Ahab obeys the word of the Lord, goes into the battle the two times. But he had the opportunity to take Ben Hadad out, which the Lord wanted done. And he didn't do it. Instead, he made a treaty, something that would benefit him financially. And on his way back out there, this prophet decides, well, we we need to bring this into reality. And so, he brings this situation. I got wounded. I was supposed to watch over a guy. He slipped out. Look, I got wounded. I got hurt in the process. But, um, uh, you know, I'm afraid to go back. He's going to want to kill me. And so he pronounces the, the judgment over top of him. And so he takes the bandage off so that he could see his face. This man was someone that Ahab would recognize. Which tells you there are more prophets making themselves known in Israel than just Elijah. Elijah was very wrong when he said, I alone and left. There were other people who were standing up and telling this king some things. He was not the only one. We've got three different prophets it seems that were used in this, this one passage of Scripture. So, he partially obeyed What God said to do. He went into battle. He defeated the Syrians. But he gave mercy to the king. That God did not want to have mercy. When I extend mercy. To someone that God has not extended mercy. I am not extending godly mercy. I am bringing judgment on myself. There are some people folks. That are not fit for mercy. The king, Ben-Hadad, was not fit for mercy. God says, he needs to be brought to judgment. He has already declared this guy needs to be replaced and had a prophet from Israel anoint a king over Syria. How often does God send somebody out to anoint somebody over a nation not named Israel or Judah? It doesn't happen very often, does it? This is one of those times that it happened. That's how much he was against this line of, of kings, the Ben-Hadad line. It's very much against them. And even the guy he picked was still going to do terrible things. And when the prophet anointed him, he had a tear in his eye because I've seen the things you're going to do. But he was going to be used as a judgment against Israel. This guy is not called into that. He does not have that, that there. So he partially obeys. And Ahab speaks to his own judgment. It's kind of similar with David. Did remember David had the story told to him, and David got mad because the guy went and took the little lamb from the family, and he said, "He shall die." And of course, Nathan said, "You're the man," and uh, he he kind of repented. He did repent. Big difference here is that one is repentant. David is repentant. The other is sullen and displeased. it seems to disobey a prophetic word has two outcomes. Are you ready for this? You've got to do your own writing on this. The first, when you disobey a prophetic word, the first is they are given an opportunity to pronounce their own judgment. There are many times in political history, in government history, many, many times where people in government Blame what they did on other people. You can go way back into history and look at this. You can go all the way up to the, back into the time of Nero. I can go back further than that, but I'm sure most, some of you can remember the uh, Nero. You remember the fires that burned Rome down? All right, well, if you know history, you will know that the person who started that fire is Nero himself. Because Nero had put a proposal that he wanted to have his name on all the buildings in Rome. And they decided that's not right. We're not going to tear all these buildings down and put your name in all these buildings. We're not going to do it. So he decided, well, the best way I can do that is to burn it down. If I burn it down, then you've got to rebuild it. Now I can get my name on there. And so they um, they, they burned it down, but now people are mad at Nero because they are suspicious that he did it. So he said, well, we got to blame somebody else. The Christians have always been talking about this fire is going to come down. I think it was the Christians who did it. And so the Christians were blamed and that's when the persecution really revved up to a high note. And uh, the Christians were burned at the stake. Christians were thrown to the lions. All these things began to, to go on. But you see, when they had done this, they pronounced a judgment upon the people that they blamed for what they did. You have people in our government. You have people in governments behind. You have people before who are blaming others for what they have done. Then they have declared a punishment on those people that they blame for what they have done. That punishment will come back upon them. They have decreed it. You'll see it, and I gave you two examples, but you'll see it in more places in the scripture where people have done it. You, I'll let you do this. When you're at home today, you meditate upon it. Did it happen in the gospels where people declared a punishment upon themselves that happened? And you can find it in other places beside that. So, this is the first thing. When you disobey a prophetic word, the first outcome is they're given an opportunity to pronounce their own judgment. The second one is the judgment spoken falls upon them for not heeding its warning. So, the the judgment that they, they say, the, the judgment that was supposed to come about would come upon them instead. If God sends somebody out and said, I want you to... To execute this king, take this king out, and they didn't do it. Then that death penalty came upon them for disobeying. Can you see how that that happens? That was the penalty of the prophecy. In the prophecy, it was given: "This is what shall happen." You remember when uh, when Moses? Well, let me, let me tell you this part of it first here the judgment spoken falls upon them for not heeding its warning, even, get this, this is the part you got to write in, even on those who merely follow the disobedient side. If you are not part of the ones who make the decision, but follow, that judgment will come upon you. Do you remember when Jesus was before Pilate? And Pilate said, I want to release this Barabbas you remember what the children of Israel said? Mm-hmm. But wh- why should I crucify him? He has done no wrong. His blood be on us and on our children. Moses, when he was dealing with the, uh, the group, one of the groups of the disobedient, and they were all by their tents, you remember what Moses' word was to the people? Get yeah. Away from them. What would happen if they did not get away from them? They'd be going down too. They would be going right on down into the earth. Jeremiah, he gave a, they came to him and they asked for a prophecy. They asked for a word from the Lord. When, uh, when the leader, when the, the king that was appointed was killed, actually he was governor, he was, uh, killed. And they said, uh, go seek the Lord. Should we leave or should we stay? Alright, I'll go see the Lord. But he knew He they weren't going to do it. Ten days later, he came back to him with the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord said, don't go down to Egypt. He said, if you go down to Egypt, this is what's going to happen to you. And the people went on down to Egypt. Even the people who didn't make the decision to go down to Egypt but followed after that way fell into the same punishment as the others. Now look at this. How many remember the story I'm telling you about? If you don't, if you don't send me a note, and I'll, I'll send you where to, to, to read this. But the whole, the whole Passage is good. Jeremiah told them, you're not going to, don't go, don't go, stay right here, it's gonna be okay, the king of Babylon is not mad with you. He'll take care of the people that, that did the thing, but he's not mad with the whole group of you. Just stay here, and they said, no, we don't believe you, we don't believe that was a word from the Lord, and so they were gonna go, but they're gonna take Jeremiah with them. Every single one of those people fell under the punishment of that prophecy except for one person, you know who it was? Jeremiah, you know, you know why? Because he did not go along, he did not believe, he did not disbelieve the word, he did not believe what they were saying, and was forced to go along with them. And so the punishment that came upon all of them did not come upon him. In fact, Jeremiah was given free reign into the city. Whatever you want for property, it's yours. And the king was very kind with him, because that punishment did not come upon him. Now look at this. There are people who will prophesy this side, and they will prophesy that side. You may not be the one who is prophesying. You may not be the one who makes the decisions to obey the prophecy. But if you decide to side with the people who are going against the word from God, you will encounter the same penalty that they do. If you go along and empower them, if you will go along with them, if you are like Jeremiah... And say, you may force me to take me on down there with you, but I'm not, my heart's it's right here. Be like the little boy they put in the corner. And they told him to sit in the corner. And he turned around to his mom and said, I may be sitting on the outside. I'm standing on the inside, right? <laughs> See, you may have forced me to go along with this, but I'm not going along with this part over here. And that penalty does not come upon us because we stood in belief for what the prophet said. In order for this to work, you've got to first off know what prophets are from God. Secondly, what did they say? You do not want the interpretation given by the prophet. You want the word of the Lord from the prophet. Sometimes there's a big difference. I'm listening to some of these guys and it seems like some of them do not know how to give the straight word of God. I don't care if they want to go on and teach and interpret and do all that other stuff. Just give me a concise part here. Here's the word. A lot of times, some of them I was listening to, it seems like, well, here's a little bit of the word I got, and now I need to teach and expand on it. And then here's a little bit more of the word I got, and then I need to teach and expand on it. Don't be a pastor. Be a prophet. prophet speaks the word of God. This is what God said. I may not have full understanding of what the prophet says for me now, but if I have the word as things unfold, then I begin to see it. Isn't that true with all prophecy? Isn't all prophecy given in the Bible? We had partial understanding of it when it first came out. We get more understanding of it as time goes on. And then as we get closer to the event, don't we get more understanding of the thing? Don't we have more understanding of end times prophets today than we did 50 years ago? The closer we get to it, the more understanding we have of what is being said. But I have to know what is the word that was said. Not what the interpretation is. Now, let's wrap this up here. Before, I've only taught on this verse that I could find just really just focus on this one time and all the time we've been making outlines, which is decades. But when I we were talking about this, we gave you the, the heathen condition. I, I'm just going to read off a few things about the heathen condition that might help you out. First off, heathens, their hearts are hard. They do not see a need to change to a standard they do not accept. You may tell them the word of God's standard. They don't see a need to change to that. That's the heathen condition. They do not accept what they cannot see or understand. They don't accept it. I don't understand. I don't uh, understand. I don't see the word of God. I don't accept it. I don't see end times unfolding the way you say it does. I don't accept it. What truths they resist must be proved to their standard. Not God's. They got to be proved to their standard. Truth is subjective and situational. Not universal. To us, truth is universal. If it's true, it's true. But to a heathen, that's not the case. It's subjective. Well, alright, that might be true in this situation, but in this situation, that wouldn't be true anymore. That's why they come up with things like your truth. Outward actions are born of convenience and not always character. Outward actions are born of convenience, not always character. The Word of God teaches us to have outward actions based on Character, not convenience. I have to do sometimes what is inconvenient to be obedient. Don't argue or soften the truth and don't change it for them. Make sure you do not change the Word of God for them. Don't soften it. You tell them as God says it. If God says there's only one way, don't be telling them there's, there's more than that. The Word of God says there's one way. If you're going to believe something else, that's up to you. But this is what the Word of God says. We are not here to persuade when I learned this, I'll tell you what it helped me out a whole lot. We are not here to persuade people of the truth. But to proclaim it. You are here to proclaim the truth, folks. Not persuade them. Not here to sell them on it. If they want to believe it, then they'll believe it. If not, don't give in to the part of trying to persuade them. Now, Amos seven. I put this up on the Facebook post today. And uh, I didn't write it in your outline. But you can write this down. Surely, the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. Surely, the Lord does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. The prophets are always sent in. but I'm sorry, the prophets are not always sent in. God does not send them into every situation. But when they are sent in, when they are deployed, a change is coming based on the reaction given. When the prophets are deployed, I know this, a change is coming. If the people of God heed the voice of the prophet, there is a positive change that will come. The victory was brought, the battle was won, the famine was stopped, whatever it might be, there was a positive change. If the people disbelieved the word that God spoke. A change also came, but it was one that was negative. Understand this from the word. You can go through there and begin to think of some of this on your own. Go through it in your head and see if this is not true. God does not send His prophets in on a situation for which a change is not coming. If He is sending His prophets in and they are speaking to a situation know this, a change is coming. It can be a positive change if we listen to his prophets. It will be a negative change if we disbelieve his prophets and believe the false ones. You see how imperative it is that we know which ones are false and which ones are true? I must have faith in his prophets and then my behavior has to be ordered in such a way as to demonstrate that faith. We've already shown you a few examples in the Word. When they did the action of demonstrating faith in the prophets is when the deliverance came. That is no different than it is now. We're going to end this here on this this spot. We're going to try and be good here today. But we got another one coming on up. And I, I tell you, I was, I was going through some of these. I'm, am just, just having such a good time going through the prophets. I could, st- I told you I could stay here for a long time, but I'll probably wear you out in it. So <laughs> we're, we're going, we're going on through with this one, but we have, we have a situation and you're going to have, you're, you're going to have, see the same thing again. Obedience and disobedience. And you're going to see the punishment that comes on each. I want you to see this pattern. This is not a pattern. I'm pulling a few stories out and showing it to you. This is a pattern in the Word. When a prophet comes, a change is coming. Which way the change is is up to the people and what they believe. But when a prophet shows up and when a prophet speaks the Word of God to a situation, just know this means we are up for a change. We're either going to go to the right or we're going to go to the left. We're either going to go up or we're going to go down. Somehow a change is coming. If we believe, if we first off identify his prophets, believe his prophets, and have actions in accordance to obedience to those prophets, the change will benefit us. If not, it would not. Now here's one more question we're going to get into. What happens if you were in a group of people and some of them obeyed and some of them didn't? And the penalty is coming upon the nation. Anybody ever ask a question like that? We're going to answer that either next week or the one before, the one after. Now, I tell you what, we could just go off and just do some Christmas stuff if you want. (laughs) (laughs) You all know, we teach on Christmas stuff when God teaches us to teach on Christmas stuff. We teach on other things other times. But these are gifts that God gave us. If God gave us a prophet, there's something that we need to glean glean from it. And I don't think that we as a a, a nation have gleaned what we should from a prophet. And so we need to have more of an understanding of, of what those things are. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your prophets. I thank you for that ministry that you have put into the body of Christ. And when you see to speak to them words for our nation... Words for our church. Words for a situation that the world faces. Whatever it might be, you, Father, have sent your prophets in to speak to situations. They've come in when food was scarce. They've come in when water was scarce. They've come in when other things were not in plentiful supply. They told them what was coming. Some people believed those words and some people didn't. Father, it's important that we know who your prophets are, how to recognize them in the sea of, uh, of false prophets. And I need to know how do I order my behavior in such a way that I obviously believed the word. Because so often in your word we see The deliverance didn't come until they did something that showed they believed it. Thank you for your prophets. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the things you have spoken to our nation. Not all the things have we liked that you have spoken to our nation over the many years that we have been the United States of America. But whenever you speak a word of prophecy, it's there to help us. It's there to help us avoid something Or move into something. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, if you don't come out on Wednesday nights, we've been on the study of Jude. And Jude is basically telling you how to detect those that are false from those that are true. Second Peter does the same thing. God is not telling you to, be, to do something that he has not equipped you to do. And in Jude, it's a very short book, very short letter, but he gives you plenty to help you out with this. Learn how to discern who is right. Because know, know this, I had to learn this. If a prophet is of God, more often they will speak something unsettling and something my flesh doesn't like Plus something i don 't want to hear more often that 's what will happen. I need to know this is someone I need to yield to someone I need to listen. Have a good rest of the of the week. Those who come out on Wednesday, put it in the bulletin. you can read over that, but just know Brother Les is convinced we are getting snow so <laughs> so we are taking oh before we go, I did want to mention this. we had a, a prayer request number somebody we can really lay hands on but uh Daryl uh one of his best friends. I say one of his best friends because he's already told me he has two best friends. So the one, <laughs> the, the one best friend just lost uh, uh, just lost his father uh, just overnight. He got the, the no, notice on the way in there and he was very sad and then talking to them and they just had, uh, he just lost his, his younger sister uh, earlier this year. And so uh, he said a lot of death is going in with that family. So as you uh, uh, have your prayer time, as you begin to think of these things, uh, just remember Remember them. We're just going to do that here right now. Father, I thank you for the peace of God. These folks are believers. He was a believer who went on to meet you. and We know that he's in a good place and that we come to where he is. But Father, I thank you for the comfort and the peace you give to those who remain because death its a sorrowful time for us. But I thank you that we don't face it as others do, but we face it with the hope. And I thank you for the hope that you paint in them and for the people that are around them to encourage them and lift them up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.